Dear Father in heaven, we've come back for this second session, and we just ask for greater clarity, Lord, in regards to your word and what you desire for us as your people. I ask, Father, for a mind that reflects yours even now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we left off with God's great passion for us, if you will, that he loved us so much that he takes on our very form, and he's taking that form to the highest heaven. Don't forget now, we, we were discussing this, this issue in regards to Lucifer lying about the character of God, and the question was, what would have to happen if someone is lying about you and they've been real tight up here, nobody from down here could, could vindicate you. There would have to be somebody that's closer to God that would come down and speak on your behalf. So let's go to John for a moment. John, the first chapter. John, the first chapter. Beginning at verse number one. John, the first chapter, beginning at verse number one. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, we've talked about this. You know this already. Lucifer's name means light bearer. So Lucifer is bearing light because whose light is he bearing? Whose light is he bearing? God's light. Now, I don't know if you use your sanctified imagination to kind of see what he sees or what he looked like, but again, we use those, those, those gems and those jewels. Can you imagine what that light looked like shining through those gems and jewels? How gorgeous he would have been. And it's interesting, the light that he even has now, if Lucifer showed up right now and we're told that he's going to show up soon, when he shows up, he's going to look brilliant. He's going to be bright. Where did he get that light from? It's the same light that he had when he was first created. It's a light that he's reflecting from the God that he was in the direct presence of God that long. That's how powerful that light is. You follow the idea? Even after all those years of sin, he still has light on him that emanated from the throne. And he hasn't even been there for a long time. So now Jesus comes, no jewels, no gems, no outside beauty that he, we should desire him, Isaiah 53 says. And the Bible says that his life is the light. Now let me ask you a question. And you've heard this question before, I'm going to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you go to the mirror and you don't like your face, how many of you destroy the mirror? All right. You go to the mirror, you don't like your face. How many of you turn the light off so you don't have to see it? Is that how you fix the problem? No, this is just a logical question, simple idea. The Bible says Jesus was the light that lights every man that comes into the world. What did we, I don't want to say what the Jews did, what did we do to the light in order to stop it from shining on us? We turned the light off. We smashed the mirror, but we still look crazy. Right? 
We lost, we're still not functioning well. We're still not operating at the level of kingship that God designed us to function at. But we get rid of the light so that we can do what we want to do when we want to do it. Don't you tell me what to do because none of your business. Right? John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Look at verse 18. It says, No man have seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath what? So the Son has declared the very person and nature of God. The only way you know what God looks like is if you see the Son. The only way that you know what God's character is like, if you see the Son. So I ask myself a very simple question. Why do the Muslims demote Jesus? Why do the mystics make him one of the other mystics? Why does the Catholic exalt him to the point where you can't approach him? You follow the idea? Everything in this world is an attack against Jesus. Every single solitary thing, whether it be entertainment, whether it be music, whether it be dress, I don't care what it is, there's always an attack against Jesus. But let me ask you a question. When you look at the life of Jesus, was he ever, was he ever disrespectful to women? He was never disrespectful to women. Did Jesus feed the homeless? Did, he, did, did you know that they actually had a money bag and that Jesus had a ministry and they had collected money and that they would give money to the poor? Jesus lived a life that was pleasing not only to, to regular, I mean, if you just looked at his life as a man, if you didn't believe he was God, why would you hate him? Why would you disrespect him and treat him? Any, because Jesus was perfect in every single solitary way. So it's strange to behold and see how religions treat Jesus. It's very strange. But if you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. Now, I want you to go with me. 2 Corinthians 4. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 4. That's how, you know, you memorize songs. It helps out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Watch carefully, because when you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. And Lucifer, who had been close to the Father, now has lied about the character and person of God. And now one that is very in the very bosom. Now, if somebody's in the bosom, I'll tell you what. No one can lay in my wife's bosom but me. Amen, brother? Just making sure. Just making sure. You know, the bosom is that intimate place, that close place. I think my daughter can, you know, she can lay there too, but only her. Nobody that's not part of the circle. You follow what I'm saying? So there's an intimacy that's described in John 1.18 that says that he was in the very bosom of the Father. He's that tight with God. He's so close to God that it's from him that he comes down to tell you what God is really like. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading at verse number 3. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 3, the Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the what? 
Very interesting. Who is the very image of God should shine on them. So the goal of Lucifer is very simple. If I can hide the image of God from man, then I can keep man in darkness and I can rule mankind. Does that make sense, everybody? If I can keep it hid, if I can keep it so that nobody can see what he's really like, then they will serve me and they will fall from my line and so forth and so on, and I will have dominion. I will still be king. Now go back with me now. We're going down now to the book of John, back to the book of John. Don't lose your place in 2 Corinthians. We're not done yet. But go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And we're going to begin reading at verse 30. John 12, beginning at verse 30. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of men, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be what? Now, who's the prince of the world? So there's a time frame. Now God is saying there's a point in time which he's going to be cast out. What time is this? And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So Jesus is saying, now is the time I'm going to kick Lucifer or Satan out of his position of kingship when I am lifted up where? On Calvary. If I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all men to me. And this is very interesting. Do you think Lucifer, when, when Jesus said these words, do you think Lucifer uh, heard him say this? Lucifer heard him say this. Lucifer heard it. He's calculating because he knows, he knows from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there's supposed to be a seed that crushes his head. This is why the dragon stands before the woman to devour the child as soon as it is born, because he knows that if this child comes out and accomplishes his task, he's done for. Are you following the idea? Okay, so Jesus now makes the declaration, if I'm the from the earth, I'm going to draw all men unto me. Everyone's going to come to me. They're going to be drawn to me. They're going to come under my kingship. Remember the image of God. What's the image of God? Love. No greater love have men than this, that he laid down his what? His life for his friends. No greater love. Taking the position of someone else that deserves death, I will not let them die. I will die in their place. There's no greater love than this. But the thing is, Jesus just didn't die for his friends. He died for people that were his enemies who didn't care anything about him, don't know anything about him, don't even know that their actions actually bring him pain on a daily basis, had no clue. I was thinking about this the other day. I was teaching class, and it just came to me as I was teaching in, in class. I said, Let's, my daughter was in class. She's sitting there. She, she comes to class. She learns. She, she, you know your children, five, three, four, how, I don't care how old they are. You start explaining them the plan of salvation, they understand you take away the frills and the games and all that stuff, 
You teach them the truth around, in regards to Jesus, they would declare the Bible the most wonderful book in all the world. I tell you the truth. In the morning, I, to, I told you this the first day I was here, but I tell you again. In the morning when we have devotions, I read from this book. No pictures. No pictures. Not in the morning. I mean, I, I'm, there's nothing against pictures. But I want, to, I want her to get used to this book and the language of this book. So I read to her this book, and we, go, we have devotions, and I'm reading her this book, and we go through the, whatever the story is, and then when it's done... I'm going to use him as an illustration. Here, hold my Bible. And I'm about, let's say I'm about to close my Bible. She's five. No, Daddy, don't close it. No, no, read some more. Please. I'm not exaggerating. I am not exaggerating. I was so surprised. I said, what is wrong with her? (laughs) But this book, when studied properly, when presented with joy and excitement and, and, and the love of it, your children will begin to reflect what you put into the book. She loves it. I'm telling you, she loves it. You'll meet her one day, by God's grace. But nonetheless, here's Jesus. He said, if I'm lifted up, all men are going to be drawn to me. Everybody's going to come to me. Now, I want you to see something. And we're going to look at the cross for a few minutes. I want you to see what what is really transpiring at Calvary. I want you to see, because Satan knows what's happening, and he's concerned about it. So notice what it says in uh, Matthew 27. Let's go there for a moment, and we're going to read uh, in Matthew 27, and beginning at verse 24. And we'll just take our time, because no rush here. It says in Matthew 27, beginning at verse 24, it says, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather that atonement was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. So did, did Pilate see anything wrong with Jesus? Spotless. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, unto, said, His blood be upon us and our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. Do you have to understand the significance of this? The creator is subjecting himself to the abuse of his creation. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the what? And they spit on him and took a reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked them, they took the robe off of him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a what? The cross was on top of a skull. Very interesting. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and they set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they, pass, and they that pass by, now listen to what is said. 
And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, what do they say? Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, do what? Save your what? Save your what? Save yourself. This is what the devil tells us to do every single solitary day. Save yourself. Save yourself. You did something wrong? Don't tell the truth about it. Save yourself. Save yourself. This is a temptation. This is no ordinary temptation. This is the devil speaking to him. Save yourself. If thou be the Son of God, come where? Come down from the cross. But if he comes down from the cross, remember, he stated himself, if I be lifted up, I will do what? So Satan knows that he has to get him to come. He has to get him to come where? Think about it for a second. Think about it for a second. The purpose of the cross in Lucifer's mind was not to kill Jesus. It was to get him to stop dying. Y'all missed that whole thing. The purpose of Lucifer agitating the kings and the, the priests and the rulers to put Jesus on a cross was to stop Jesus from dying. Because if he knew that Jesus died and was lifted up, then he loses. Stop him from dying. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. You come down, we believe. That's a lie. You came down, they wouldn't have believed. Notice what it says. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders, he saved others. Himself he cannot what? You see the temptation? Save yourself. If he be the king of the Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him two times. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he was have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with them, cast the same in their teeth. Why would they say the same thing? Why is everybody saying the same thing? It's like a strange spirit going around. Come down from the cross. Come down from the cross. Save yourself. There's a quote we like to say all the time. I love Galatians 2.20, where it says, I am crucified. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ liveth in me. Think about this. This is real practical, friends. Some of you are married. Some of you are going to think about getting married. When you're married, and I'm talking from a, from a place that I've been, right? When you're married, you are always right. You are. There, there's no way that I'm wrong ever. How could she dare even question the logic? I've been thinking this way for 35 years. I solved many problems before she came into this relationship, and now she's questioning. She has the audacity to question my reasoning abilities? <laughs> Two people come together. They both have to die if the relationship will live. Did you hear what I said? 
if the relationship is going to last, self must be dead. I remember uh, my wife has uh, a request of me. She likes me to take out the trash. I like her to make breakfast. Now, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the basis of how we live, selfishly. If my wife doesn't prepare breakfast, who gets mad? I get mad because she didn't do something for who? So I'm not looking out for her, what she wants, what she desires, what she loves. I'm looking out for me. And if she doesn't make me happy, I'm not going to make her happy. This is how we live. This is why things go all crazy like they do. This is why the world is so confused. Everybody's fighting and blowing up people over here and I blow up you over here. I don't like you. You said this about me and bang, boom, and the world's in chaos. Because everything is about self-serving, self-service. So I don't take out the trash. She gets mad at me and then she treats me bad. It's a horrible cycle. Church the same way. I don't go to, see, this is what we do. I go to church to receive a blessing. But if the church doesn't give me a blessing, I'm not going to church. Same thing, right? Instead of going to church to be a blessing. So my purpose in going to church now is seeing how can, how can I serve. Even though I'm not the pastor, the deacon, the elder, or whoever else, I am a member of the body, and the body always tries to compensate when there's things that are not right in the church. Are you following the idea? Very simple, basic, fundamental ideas here. I mean, life is constituted on this. Either I die or somebody else dies. I should die first. I should die first. I remember my little girl was born, and I didn't know I had that extra love in me because I thought, I, you know, how you're in love, you know, with your wife, and you're like, yes. And then you have a baby, and then you're like, yes. Like, where did that love come from? That, that's a whole other animal right there. And I remember... Before I had a child, and let's say my, uh, you know, I love my nephews and nieces, but, you know, I, I don't want to change their diaper. You follow what I'm saying right now? But when I had my own baby, come here, girl, wiping the poopy with joy. <laughs> you, you follow the idea? Something's made the difference in, in how now I'm approaching this this. this baby that just cries and wants things, and, and when it cries, I come and I, and I take, you know, there's, love is, makes the difference in the processes here. You follow what I'm saying with, to you? So here's Jesus on the cross, cleaning up our mess, because we are his. Because it's mine, I want to take care of it. It's my, it came from my bowels. It came from my love union between me and my wife. It's mine. And here at Calvary, God is cleaning up our mess. The God of the universe is doing this. I'm going to read something to you. Again, I think I read part of, or probably, I probably read part of it to you the other night. 
But I want to read this to you. And again, this is from Desire of Ages. I suggest if you haven't really fallen in love with Jesus, this would be a good book to start reading. And now I'm going to read to you about what's happening at Calvary. Because there's so many things transpiring. There's so many things taking place at the cross. But there's one person, and we talked about him for a few moments. But I want, you, I want to highlight this point in regards to how Christ is seeing things. The thief on the cross, of course, is asking if you, if you, you remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is dying. His hands are nailed to the cross. His feet are nailed to the cross. He has a crown of thorns that is going into his brow. Nobody understands him. His mama cries, but she doesn't understand why she's crying. The disciples are hiding in the background. Though they love him, they're still in the background. They don't understand what's going on. You have the, 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 the whole multitude that's following after Jesus, but they're just, they're, the women are crying. Jesus stops and says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves, because trouble's coming on you. And so Jesus has all these people around him, but nobody, nobody's really knowing what he is or who he is or what he means to them, except for one. Except for one. Now the thief on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, he's throwing his weight on this suffering, dying lamb, naked. Now I would not personally, if I saw a naked man on a cross next to me, with my natural eye, look at him and say, this is the king of Israel. This is the lamb that I should give my sin. You follow what I'm saying? I would not naturally look and say, I give my heart to him. But like, he's dying like me. There's no difference. But there's something different. The Holy Spirit illuminates his mind. That's what the Spirit of Prophecy says. But not, watch this. The bystanders caught the words as the thief called Jesus Lord. The tone of the repentant, repentant man arrested their attention. Those who at the foot of the cross had been quarreling over Christ's garments and casting lots upon his vesture stopped to listen. Their angry tongues were hushed. With bated breath, they looked upon Christ and waited for the response from those dying lips. Notice. As he spoke the words of promise, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The dark cloud that seemed to enshroud the cross was pierced by a bright and living light. To the penitent thief came the perfect peace of acceptance with God. This next sentence blows my mind. Christ in his humiliation, was glorified. Christ in his humiliation was glorified. He who in all other eyes appeared to be conquered was the conqueror. He was acknowledged as the sin bearer, the highest service. Men may exercise power over his human body. They may pierce their holy temples with the crown of thorns. They may strip him of his raiment and quarrel over his division. But they cannot rob him of his power to forgive sins. In dying, he bears testimony to his own divinity and to the glory of his father. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear, neither his arm shortened that it cannot save. It is his royal right to save unto the uttermost all who come unto him. It's his royal right. His royal right is his kingly position. And Lucifer wanted him to come down 
and abandon his kingly post. It takes more strength to forgive than to give somebody a piece of your mind. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? It takes more strength because sometimes as men, we feel big and bad and strong, you know? So I'm going to put my wife in place. No. The strongest man is the meekest man. He that ruleth his spirit, then he that taketh the city. In our church, listen to me, in our church, we have a problem where men abuse their wives. I was at Andrews, not as a student, but I was there. And uh, there are wives that meet together, pastors' wives, in that group. Women in that group, pastors' wives, amongst themselves, my husband. Are you hearing me, friends? Relationships, even on this campus, I'm quite sure. Relationships on this campus, boyfriends abusing girlfriends, don't even own her. You're not even married to her. You didn't even put a covenant down, but you want to lay your hands on her. There's more power in meekness than in demonstration of might. When Jesus is on the cross and they can hold every part of his body, but they can't stop him from forgiving sin. Now watch this now. Revelation chapter 12. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says. Revelation 12 verse 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For what? For the accuser of the brethren is what? Which accused them before our God day and night. Tell me something. Based on John chapter 12, verse 31, when was the prince of this world cast down? At the cross. The accuser of the brethren is cast down. No longer does he have a right to rule this world. Wait a second. You know, there's a story. You know the history of the slaves and how there was a declaration that they were free. But then at some parts, those, those, those slaves who lived down south said, don't try to trick us. We ain't going nowhere. Right? So though they were declared free, they remained uh, slaves. Y'all not hearing this thing. Though they were declared free, that you are no longer a servant of Satan, they still submitted themselves to him because they were afraid that they really weren't free. Are you listening to what I'm saying to you? The kingship of this world has already been given back to the king of love. What does the Bible say? If you love me, do what? All God's biddings are his what? So tell me something. Why do you sin 
if you've been made free. Why do you subject yourself to the lies of Satan when God has already declared him a loser? I remember reading a story or listening. Actually, you guys should get this, uh, this, this series, The Pilgrim's Progress. You should get the audio. It's really nice to listen to as you're going along the way. But there's a story where Christian is supposed to get to uh, this particular um, innkeeper or whatever. And there are two lions that are chained. But he can't see that they're chained and that they're roaring. And he doesn't know that they're toothless lions. But because of his fear, the roaring of the lion and what he sees in his mind stops him from trying to go to where he's supposed to go. Satan walks about like a roaring lion, but he's toothless. You ever seen a dog without his teeth? That dog looks crazy. It does. Dog looks crazy without his teeth. And we're running around afraid of Satan and falling for his temptations. Romans 6.16 6, says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto what? Unto righteousness. So if I submit myself to Satan's temptation and he tells me, do this, and I run over there and do it, I'm a servant of Satan. There's no way to, we can't color code that. You know, we can't make that, I don't care what you say in Greek or Hebrew, I, it, it doesn't, know. Whoever you serve, whoever you obey, that's whose servant you are. And I'm going to show you in a few moments that the final test for us is on its way. But when that test comes, you can't all of a sudden figure out, oh, I am a servant of Jesus, and I'm going to remain strong. You're going to be like Samson and rise up and your hair is cut off. And a woman, you're not listening to me, and a woman will be able to grab you, and you won't have any power to resist. Are you listening to me? That woman is Babylon. And Babylon will grab the remnant who have not consecrated themselves to God, and they will be powerless because they did not put their whole weight on the lamb when he already declared you free. He that is free is free indeed. In fact, this is a memory verse my daughter and my wife and I are memorizing. Go to John 7. John 7. John 7. Look at verse 37, 38, and 39. No, John 8. I'm sorry, John 8. Beginning at verse 34. And this is Jesus speaking. Jesus saying, John 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the what? And the servant abideth not in the house forever. And this is referencing Hagar's son. The servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore make you free, ye shall be what? Do you believe the Bible? If you have been set free, you are free indeed. There is no question. He has already paved the way. 
And he's already put a crown of glory and honor, and he's trying to make us, put us back. In fact, go to Hebrews. Let me not just say it. Let me read it to you. Go to Hebrews. Back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be reading in verse 9, 10, and 11. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. The Bible says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for how many men? So every man, he tastes death for every man, but every man doesn't accept him. Again, that's love. And he knows that every man won't accept him, but he still tastes death for every man. Would I do that? No. If I knew you weren't going to accept me, I would say, sorry, sister. Have a great day. And I'll keep it moving because that's self. Why would I sacrifice myself when I know the person won't even accept what I'm giving them? But he tastes death for every man. Notice what else it says. Verse 11, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, will I sing praise unto thee, and again I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I am the children of God that have given me. Verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise. That's a lot of phraseology there, right? He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is what? That is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to what? Subject to bondage. So he died to release captives from the bondage of Satan. Verse 16, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to suffer them that are what? He's able to succor them that are tempted. He's able to help you. You have a high priest that has been touched with your infirmities, your weaknesses, and he says, I know by experience, and I will send help when you need it. But if he offers help and you deny help, you can't blame him. Right? If heaven has angels, 70, page 17, nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly upon the merits of the Savior. God will send every angel in heaven to the aid of such a one, rather than allow him or her to be overcome. Wow. Every angel? He will if it's necessary. Every angel then allow you to be subject and abused by the enemy of your soul. Why would you allow yourself to be beat down unless you just think, I'm not good enough? But if you think you're not good enough, he already said you're good enough because I died for you already. 
I've done too many bad things. He said, I already paid for that. I've already paid for that. I've already taken it out upon myself. So why are you telling yourself you're not good enough? You don't need to be a slave to sin. You don't need to be a slave to him. We are under a new ruler, a new king, a new potentate, if you will. Let's go a little further. I have four minutes and 30 seconds. I want us to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading again at verse number 3. It says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Verse 4. In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, shall shine unto us. Verse 6. For God who commanded the light... To shine where? Well, when did that happen? When did he command light to shine out of darkness? When did that transpire? Creation. So there's nothing. There's darkness. So God who commanded the light, how did he do that? How did he command the light? By his what? He said, let there be light. Boom. So when he spoke, out of darkness came. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, how shine where? Very interesting. So The writer is equating the darkness at the beginning of creation with the darkness of our. Do you believe what the Bible declares about your heart? That it's dark. No good. Again, I don't care how many religious activities that you do. It's still dark. Unless Jesus comes in. Still dark. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness have shine in our hearts. For what purpose? To give the light of the knowledge of what? The glory of God. Where is it found? Let's think about it for a second. Let's say for the past 40 minutes I was standing here like this. Friends, I believe that the word of God is truth. And I did that for 40 minutes. What would you think? You'd be like, you're strange and very weird. There is no connection there, right? There's something about my wife and I, we go to bed for different purposes. I go to bed to sleep. My wife goes to bed to talk. (laughs) And when I'm laying in bed, as I'm laying there to, 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 you know, to sleep, she begins to talk. So then I have to talk. But there comes a point where sleep begins to override the ability to communicate in a logical manner, right? (laughs) So then I, in the darkness, now there's no light, in the darkness I turn my back to her to kind of just get a little comfortable to get ready to go down. And she says, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Even in the dark, my wife wants my face to her. Even in the dark, she wants the intimacy. Are you following what I'm saying to you? Why doesn't the Bible say in the neck of Jesus or in the ankle of Jesus or in the knee of Jesus? Or well, why didn't it say in the back of Jesus you see the glory of God? It says in the well, there's something about the face. 
There's something about knowing somebody when you look in their eyes. Right? There's something about being close and seeing things. That's why people turn away when you look at them. Be like, you need to look like this? I remember uh, we were, I was doing a Bible study at one of the campuses up north, and a young brother, he came in, and I was just talking to him, and I just kept looking in his eyes, and he just turned real fast. It was very funny. <laughs> but there's something about that intimacy. It's in the face of Jesus that you see the glory of God. I say this to you. Don't turn your face from Jesus. Don't turn your face from Jesus. 30 seconds. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, watch this. Watch this. Isaiah 53. Verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, and we what? And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Don't hide your face from Jesus. He's going to look and you're going to feel like running when he starts looking at you because his look is penetrating. It's like, it's like fire. He sees directly into your soul. But the goal is don't look away. Keep looking. Something's about to change. Keep looking. Let's have a word of prayers as my angels have come to Father in heaven, I just thank you for your love and mercy. I thank you for this time to talk and to commune and to communicate the realities of your character to your children. I ask, Father, for even greater still, a greater understanding of the times in which we're going into and what you desire of us as your royalty, Father. We love you. and We ask that you teach us to love you more. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.